0: Thank you for tuning into Crossroads. I'm your host, Andrew Vitelli, a senior reporter for Spark Spread. Now one year ago in February 2021, a winter storm known unofficially as Winter Storm Ori struck Texas, causing hundreds of deaths and tens of billions of dollars in damage as the Lone Star State's electric grid failed. Now, our guest today is Peter Crampton, who served as an independent director on the board of the Electricity Reliability Council of Texas, better known as ERCOT, during the storm. Peter, thank you for joining me today for this discussion. My pleasure. So to start, can you tell me and our audience a little bit about your background and why you left ERCOT following last year's storm?
1: Sure. So I've been designing uh, complex markets, especially markets uh, based on auctions uh, for the last 30 years. And uh, since uh, 1999, uh, part of that work has been in designing electricity markets. And so I'm one of a handful of experts of electricity market design around the world. And i um, It's that expertise that uh, led ERCOT to ask me, actually the ERCOT board, to ask me to join the board. And I uh, joined in 2015 and um, was uh, on, served on the board as an independent director uh, until uh, February, uh, 2021. Uh, Following the storm, there was political pressure to change the governance structure and, in particular, not have any non-Texans on the board. And so all of the non-Texans, which included all of the independent directors, uh, resigned from the board.
0: So after the storm, there was a lot of talk about what changes were needed in order to ensure that next time such a storm hit, which eventually it will uh, hit Texas, uh, there is more resiliency. And the outcome is not the same. Now, I know you at the time had some opinions. What was what were your thoughts? What did you think needed to be done?
1: Well, many things First, have to understand the problem. So essentially, because of the extreme cold, there was a sharp drop in supply and as uh, largely due to freezing. And simultaneously, there was a large spike in demand. And that created a gap of about 30% between demand and supply. Now, an electricity system has to always be balanced. And so effectively, 30% of the would-be demand had to be uh, dropped. And and that's the outages that affected about uh, 4 million people for several days in Texas basically to make the market more resilient, you need to do two things. One is you need to have less of a drop in supply and you need to have less of an increase in demand during extreme cold. And it's very important, actually, for uh, the Texas system to address both the supply and the demand side. That will be more effective on the supply side. So let me just look at the two problems, the supply side, the There were many problems, but the the largest one by far was the failure of the gas supply. Texas lost 45% of its gas supply due to the cold. And that loss led to many of the combined cycle gas units being unable to generate electricity. And so that was the big problem on the supply side. There were certainly many other problems, but that was the biggest one. And so one of the things that needs to happen is to make sure that, that there's proper winterization of uh, all of the supply, uh, including the, um, the gas supply. And that can be done at the generating units, but really to, the, to, to make the, the generating units must make sure that they have reliable fuel during these extreme events. And that, that's actually the one thing that I think has not
0: happened and needs to happen going forward. Sorry, just to jump in, you mentioned this loss of supply, and obviously these were extreme temperatures for Texas, but these, this type of cold, these types of storms are common throughout other parts of the country. So why was there such a failure when in other parts of the country they're able to maintain generation during similar storms or even worse storms?
1: Oh, well, gas is winterized uh, in places where it routinely is well below freezing. Uh, the situation is that in Texas, these are extremely unusual events. And so there's a reluctance to spend lots of money in order to insure to, um, against something that's very unlikely. So, so that's, the, that's the big issue. And that's true of all the equipment in Texas. It's just not, it's designed for the, in, in fact, reliability in general in Texas, is more designed for the extreme uh, heat in the summer. Um, Texas is a summer peaking uh, market and uh, much less so for the winter. But what uh, Storm Uri points out is that these, these storms will happen um, know perhaps this was a a one in 30 year event but nonetheless it did happen and perhaps they're happening more frequently and so um and in any event given the the cost both in terms of loss of life and dollar damage it makes a lot of sense to invest in uh resilient infrastructure on the supply side so it's something that should should happen but that's why it hasn't been done so far, um, it's actually quite problematic to get the, to make the gas supply resilient. And the, the reason is, has to do with both politics and economics. Um, you know, essentially on the, on, the, um, the economic side, the gas supply actually collectively, they, they benefited from the, uh, poor reliability during the storm. Uh, Prices were extremely high, and those that uh, uh, supplied made made lots of money. Um, So about $11 billion uh, shifted to uh, gas suppliers as a result of this event. Um, Whereas on the electricity side, it was um, almost entirely losses. So so, so really the motivation is not there. What you need is regulation for the the regulator of gas to uh, step in and impose um, obligations to winterize. Um, But that's where the politics comes in because the regulator of gas is um, largely captured by the gas industry. And so you don't have you have uh, too weak of an incentive unless somehow
0: the politics changes. And is that different from other parts of the country in terms of who is regulating the gas supply?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. The politics are quite different. Uh, Texas is the fossil fuel capital of the United States, and uh, so they're they're very influential in the politics. Um, And by contrast. Most of the rest of the U.S., uh, the gas supply would be viewed as a service that uh, benefits consumers and is regulated uh, as such for the well-being of the consumers, whereas in Texas, it's regulated more for the benefit of the fossil fuel owners.
0: So since the storm, there's been a lot of talk about how to make the system more resilient and some steps taken. How would you rate the progress that's been made so far to these ends?
1: Well, I think that there has been a lot of progress on the simpler things like improved communications. I think on the harder things like fixing the gas supply, there's been almost no progress. The winterization of the electricity generating units, there's been a lot of progress, so that's very good. I think another area that's very important uh, is the demand side and the demand side steps have not been taken. So that's another area where um, a lot more needs to be done. And in particular, as I started out, I I, I said that there's two things. There's this drop in supply and the spike in demand. And so we have to address the spike in demand. Um, And the two best ways to do that are, one, with energy efficiency. So boring things like insulation, caulking, thermal pane glass, is needed in order to um, reduce the consumption of electricity during extreme cold and extreme hot events. Um, That's why energy efficiency is so helpful uh, because it it does exactly that. And then the other thing on the demand side is um, engaging the consumers in responding to the event. Uh, in an appropriate way through the market price. So during the event, the wholesale price of electricity was $9,000 a megawatt hour, um, well over a hundred times what it normally is. And that actually made a lot of sense because the social cost of consuming electricity was extremely high there. By your consuming electricity, you were preventing somebody else from consuming electricity and heating their home and perhaps keeping their pipes from freezing. And so it's it's actually very important for the consumers to be engaged. And there's um, almost all of the residential consumers in Texas faced a uh, a, a flat rate. And so had no incentive to engage in um, reducing their demand. So in the markets going forward, it's very important to engage the consumer And fortunately, the new technology, electric vehicles, smart thermostats, uh, heat pumps, uh, all these things, uh, solar panels, are powerful ways for the consumer to be engaged in the electricity market uh, in very simple ways, uh, uh, at least eventually. essentially managing their demand so that they're consuming less when the price is very high and they're consuming more when the price is very low. Um, And so that's something that needs to be worked on. And unfortunately, Texas actually had a fair amount of innovation in this regard, Um, but has, if anything, taken a step back um, one of the first pieces of legislations that was passed uh, and signed by the governor following the event was actually a ban of um, uh, consumer rate plans that exposed the consumer to the wholesale cost of electricity. And I view that as, as actually quite problematic.
0: And that, if I remember, was the result of a lot of normal homeowners who, after the storm, had these exorbitant tens of thousands of dollar electricity bills. Is that unavoidable uh, if we are to have some type of responsiveness? Uh, It's completely
1: avoidable. And you're absolutely right. That was the source for that's what made the issue politically salient and for the legislature to to take action. But they took the wrong action. Uh, What they should have done is um, uh, uh, encouraged plans and accepted plans that uh, expose the consumer on the margin, but um, limit... Uh, the downside risk. And so what we had was very uh, first generation um, plans that uh, exposed the consumer to the wholesale price, but didn't limit the downside. And so that's where you got these large bills from customers that were uh, not paying attention uh, and didn't move out of those plans uh, in be- before the storm. Um, but it's very much possible to eliminate the downside. And so then, rather than um, being uh, seeing and feeling the social cost of of uh, using the electricity as being this, um, enormous downside risk during the storm, it becomes an enormous opportunity where they, they actually can, by reducing their consumption, they can be sent a check for many thousands of dollars rather than paying a bill for many thousands of dollars. And that works simply with um, standard uh, hedging approaches that would be managed Uh, on behalf of the consumer. So they wouldn't actually have to worry about it. They would just have to know that they they would get these alerts that, oh, it's an opportunity to save a lot of money if you uh, turn the thermostat uh,
0: down to 50 degrees. So after the storm, there was a lot of talk about the role that wind energy played. Texas has more wind power and generates more of its energy from wind than any other state. And during the storm, a lot of these turbines froze up. And there was a lot of discussion both regarding that and whether the intermittency of relying on wind made the grid less resilient. I know that you are skeptical to that hypothesis. Can you explain why? Sure.
1: So uh, wind and solar as well, they're both intermittent resources and sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not a no electricity systems resiliency strategy is based upon or reliability strategy is based upon these intermittent resources Um, and so what the system operator does is they look at various extreme events extreme heat extreme cold and assess how resources are uh, uh, apt to perform during these extreme events. And you're looking at more of the worst case uh, in, in, with respect to the production. And so, for example, solar, you assume that the event's happening at night and there is no solar, and so solar gets uh, is assumed to be zero uh, during such an extreme event. Similarly for wind, um, you're expecting uh, in, closer to the worst case, that there's very little wind production. There's some wind production, but but very little. Um, Whereas the uh, the gas units you're expecting uh, and nuclear and coal, the conventional generation, you're expecting um, much higher levels of uh, reliability and production during the events. And so in, in these plans, uh, wind and solar actually outperformed what they were expected to do during uh, an extreme winter storm. And it was gas, uh, especially, that fell short, although coal and nuclear even uh, fell short of what what was expected. And so that's, that's really why Uh, it doesn't make any sense to point the finger at wind and
0: solar. You're not counting on wind and solar in in such an event. So even with all the freezing, even with the problems of the turbines, wind outperforms what it was expected to in these types of circumstances.
1: Yes, that's correct. And certainly more could be done with winterization of the turbines. And there, it's just a question of the economics. Does it is it more economic to winterize a combined cycle unit or to winterize a, a bunch load of uh, wind turbines? And I, I think it depends upon their their exact location, what the production is, and so on. But um, it, it really should be a market driven response the resources have the right incentives, they're they're seeing and feeling the the, the actual wholesale uh, price and so are motivated to make the right decision with respect to uh, winterization.
0: Now, another way that Texas is unique is that when it comes to its electrical grid, it is not 100%, but somewhat of an island, it's less integrated than the rest of the country. And I know that Texans have historically taken great pride in that, But a lot of people said that was part of what made this storm so devastating to the electrical system. Do you think that played a large role? And do you think it could be a long-term solution to try to integrate Texas more into the national grid? Do you think that's something that might be achievable?
1: So, interconnection is very important for resiliency, and it's something that should definitely be studied. Um, it is something that, in this particular event, would have helped less than one might think, because the because of the size of the storm. Um, effectively, the 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 folks to the to the east and the folks to the north were largely affected by the same storm, and. As a result, there was very little that could be uh, drawn from, very little power that could be drawn from the north or the east. Uh, if there was strong interconnection uh, all the way uh, west, then that would have been helpful, but that interconnection doesn't exist right now. Um, I think one of the reasons less attention has been paid to the interconnection is because of the the time lag uh, needed for that to be the solution. So if we're talking about storms that are gonna be happening 20 years from now, then interconnections should play a large role. If you're talking about addressing storms that might happen this year or next year, or even five or 10 years from now, interconnections not going to happen fast enough to address uh, the issues. So we can't rely on interconnection, that said, I think that it's something that should be on the table. It's something that's going to be very important uh, for Texans to address. Um, And especially as the the more innovative Texas energy companies move away from fossil fuels and recognize the enormous solar and wind potential that Texas has, and um, really wanting to be the energy capital of the future. Uh, then interconnection is gonna be absolutely critical for Texans in order to to gain the value of the uh, enormous solar and wind resources. So it's more actually, uh, so the day-to-day use of the interconnection will be to export uh, wind and solar, um, and it just has an additional benefit in terms of resiliency. Uh, for those unusual one in 10-year, one in 20-year events.
0: So it's been one year since winter storm hit Texas. And as we've discussed, there have been some measures taken and there still remains a lot more to be done. Now, in your estimation, if let's say a year from now, or even again this month, another winter storm, the same size, the same power as winter storm were to hit Texas, Is Texas better prepared? Would the results be less drastic or would we see the same type of failure that we saw last year?
1: I think they're much better prepared. So there would be a lot less damage. There would be a lot less loss of life because people, uh, Texans, I think now uh, recognize the importance of not letting your pipes freeze and making sure that you have emergency supplies and so all those things that greatly magnified the number of deaths and damages, I, I think um, uh, would occur even if you had a multi-day outage uh, for 4 million people. Um, so, uh, so that's point one. So, yes, damages could be a lot less. But. Um, and would be a lot less. Uh, In terms of uh, performance of the gas supply, I wouldn't expect much of an improvement uh, at all this year or even next year. Um, So there's still, I would expect much improved performance of the the nuclear and the gas units that that, that are able to get gas um, and the coal units. Um, So I think that there would be uh, less of a supply drop than we saw, but it would still be quite significant because of the loss of gas supply. Um, So there would be shortage. And my hope is that um, the consumers would be better able to weather it because of um, what they learned from
0: URI. Well, Peter, this has been a very interesting conversation, and it'll be interesting to keep up with all the changes that are going on in texas peter i appreciate you joining me today my pleasure thank you very much well thank you for tuning into crossroads don't forget to like and subscribe and stay tuned for more exciting episodes coming up